little more involved than that. It's head knowledge that translates into heart knowledge. And the heart knowledge is like your, your convictions. It's the core of who you are. It's what kind of drives your life. And so we want to have head knowledge that translates into our convictions in our life that ultimately reveal themselves in our hands as we begin to live out our walk with the Lord in our life. And so this series, although a lot of times people think that it's really about a whale, um, it's really about growth. It's really about are we going to be willing to be obedient to God as he calls us into perhaps a new area of our spiritual life or perhaps he's calling us out of an area of our life that we shouldn't be involved in, but it's really about growth in our life. And so at the very top, if you have your programs, go ahead and pull them out. You have an outline there to follow along. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah. That's uh, in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, the scriptures will be in your outline on the board behind me, and we'll be, we'll be good to go, all right? And so as we, as we just kind of get situated and, and started, I want you to write kind of two words at the top of your outline to write down because the book of Jonah is really about God's grace and God's mercy, all right? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that today and we'll come back at the end of the message and look, look at God's grace and God's mercy in the book of Jonah as to why God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and then ultimately while he, why he was swallowed up by a great fish was because of God's grace and God's mercy in his life, all right? So we'll have a, uh, a map here, so everyone wants to get acquainted. Hopefully you can make that out. Let's just kind of look at it real quick. You see where, you see Israel, you see Judah, Joppa, see the little ship over there, the A, got the A part. So this is kind of where uh, Jonah starts out, all right? This is where he's from. This is where God begins to speak to him in chapter 1. God calls him to go to Nineveh, so that's kind of a northwest direction. It's about 500 miles, okay? It's a pretty short distance um, compared to where he's ultimately going to go. He chooses not to, and we'll read through all this in a minute. He chooses not to go to Nineveh. He's going to go down, and he's going to go to Joppa, and he's going to go to the port, and he's ultimately going to get on a ship, and he's going to set sail, and he's going to head out to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is modern-day Spain. All right, so it's about 2,500 miles. Uh, in those days, that would be considered kind of like the end of the earth. That would be as far as someone could possibly fathom that someone could go. And so when Jonah runs from God, he's running as far away from God as he possibly can. You know, and it's the old thing, you can run from God, but you can't hide, right? So for us, it would be like God calling us into a ministry we say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to New York City. All right? And we're going to go as far away from God as we possibly can. And so that's just kind of a, a, a map just to kind of get your mind around what's taking place. Nineveh, by the way, which we'll see in a moment, is modern-day uh, Iraq. All right? So that kind of gives you a little bit of a perspective of what's going on. All right? So, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, at the very top of your outline, let's take a look and let's read through this, and then we're going to get going, all right? Uh, so, the word of the Lord, verse 1, the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of uh, Amittai, and we'll see what that means in a minute, verse 2, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me, verse 3, but Jonah, what did Jonah do? 
Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. So he's going to go in a different direction. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to, what's the word? Flee from the Lord. All right. So let's take a look at a couple of the meanings of it as we just kind of get situated in the book of Jonah. Jonah, in your outline there, is known as a reluctant prophet. Okay, his name means in Hebrew means dove. So if one of you named your sons uh, Jonah, then that is his name in Hebrew would mean dove. Okay, Amittai, which is his his given last name, it means truth. All right. So Jonah would be the son of truth. Great name for a prophet. And then Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. So that was part of this uh, Assyrian uh, empire. Nineveh was Israel's worst enemy. Kind of like today. Not a lot has changed. In fact, we'll see why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And we'll see, to a certain extent, some of the things that they're doing today is exactly what they did back then. Okay? And so, again, I'm not trying to compare what's taking place as, as, as being biblical uh, you know, uh, as far as a direct connection, but it, they were very uh, vicious people back then, as, as, as many of them are uh, in ISIL and ISIS today. And so that would be modern-day Iraq, would be where, where Nineveh was at. So God calls Jonah to go there. He is a reluctant prophet. He is called to go 500 miles to preach to preach. For them, and it's really eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, and it ended up becoming one of the greatest revivals known to mankind. He goes to Nineveh eventually in chapter three, and he preaches, and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed." Right? So eight words in the English, five words in the Hebrew, and it says in there that Nineveh repented. So imagine this. I mean, you get your mind around it. It's about 120,000 people, all right, plus animals. So imagine that we go into, you know, say Antioch and maybe part of Oakley. It's probably about 120,000 people. Someone stands on a street corner and preaches, hey, 40 days and East Contra Costa is going to turn into, you know, burn up. And everyone in East Contra Costa repents and turns to Christ. I mean, that's what took place. It was perhaps one of the most fruitful revivals that we find in a given area where we have such a huge, massive amount of people who turn their life over um, to, to, to God. So it was really kind of an amazing thing that ultimately happened, but that's not until another couple weeks that we get to see that stuff. So back to verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. All right? <clears throat> so the word came to, uh, to Jonah. Now the last couple weeks we've been talking about hearing God and we've been talking about getting God's guidance in our life. Right? We believe, and I believe, that God speaks to his children. We believe, and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with God. They had a conversation with each other, and it was a, a, there was a communication that took place. From Genesis all the way into the New Testament and ultimately to Revelation, God spoke to his people, whether it be through prophets, whether it be through teachers, uh, whether it be through today pastors or teachers, Scripture, uh, God speaks to his people. We have a God that isn't silent. We have a God who speaks to us on a regular basis. God speaks to us through circumstances. As I shared last week, sometimes it's that kind of 
uh, that visual picture that we see. Some people use the word vision, and it doesn't mean necessarily like a mystical thing where Jesus says, watch and pray, right? So there's kind of a vision that you see in your mind's eye about God's guidance and God's direction. And so all through Scripture, God has spoken to His people. Today, as we roll into today's world, God speaks to His people. Not to have a conversation with them because He's bored in heaven and He doesn't know what to do with Himself. Okay? That's not the reason why. He speaks to us to transform our life, to change us today into the image of Christ. And so when God speaks to us, it's not because He's bored and it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm tired of talking to the Holy Spirit. I think I'll just talk to Dan today. Right? No, He speaks to us to radically change our life and to completely transform our life. And so as the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he was going to change Jonah's life. He's a prophet, but he's going to change his life and he's going to give him an assignment that he's ultimately going to change Nineveh and Nineveh is going to turn and they're going to end up becoming believers uh, uh, in, in God. So number one in your outline, here's the first principle that we learn. God will often ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Any amens to that? Yes. Right? He'll often ask us to do things that we don't want to do. We do not grow in our spiritual walk, our head, our heart, and our hands in comfort. God will always call us out of our comfort zone to grow us in our life. Alright? And so when He gives us direction, because remember, He's not speaking to us because He's bored. He's speaking to us to transform our life. And so he's going to call us, he's going to ask us, he's going to encourage us to step out of our comfort zone, and therefore he's going to call us to do something that we don't want to do. Now, as we sit here today in church, we sit here and we go, oh, I would never do that. I would always listen to what God has to say, right? In which case I say, really? Are you kidding me? Right? So why is it that we don't want to do what God calls us to do? And let me just throw this out to you. I think not consciously, but I think subconsciously, sometimes we think that we know better than God. Now, we don't consciously say it because that's not a very good argument, right? I mean, you're telling the God who created the universe, right, the complexity of a body, the complexity and the amazement of of an eyeball, right? You're going to tell that God, God, you don't know what you're doing. But subconsciously, that's exactly what we do subconsciously when God speaks into our life and a word of the Lord comes to you and it comes to me, it's like, you know, I'm not really sure, God. I'm not sure that I really buy into it, right? There's, let me show you a a picture of 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 a sign that probably if you've ever gone camping, you would have seen. And so where is that at? You ever see a sign like that, right? Now, now let's be honest. Let's be honest, right? How many times have we, we, we've been camping someplace, right? And, and you see the signs everywhere. And, and somehow you think that the rangers, right? The game warden, the whoever's in charge of the animals in, in charge of you. You think they don't know what they're talking about. And besides, that little cute whatever it is. I mean, they're so cuddly and so sweet and so wonderful. Right? And, and so we think that the game warden, the rangers, the whoever it is that puts the signs up, they don't know what they're talking about. 
I mean, who wouldn't want to feed an elephant? Seriously, right? Let's watch this video. God, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, come on, really? Right? And then, come on, right? And if you watch the video, you hear the lady, we cut it out, she's like, what happened? <laughs> Did you get hit with his trunk? It's like, yeah. <laughs> right? But, but it's kind of humorous because it didn't happen to any of us. And I, ho- I, hope, he all, I hope he made it and he's not uh, you know, paralyzed or something. But, but, but we do that with God. We, we see the sign, you know, right? The word of the Lord comes to us. We're like, you know, God, I don't know. I, I actually think I know more about what I need to do than what you're telling me to do. And we just want to kind of do our own thing. Verse 2. So God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. Now, as I said, Nineveh is the modern day Iraq. And so here is a little bit of history of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrian folks. They were absolutely brutal. In fact, uh, history will tell you that when when other areas or tribes of people would hear that the Assyrians are going to come in and fight them, that many of them would kill themselves because they just absolutely didn't want anything to do with them. They, they would capture men and uh, women and, and, and girls and rape them. With the men, they would capture and they would actually skin them alive. And then they would bury them in the sand up to their shoulders. And they would pull out their tongue and take a spike. And they would drive a spike into to hold their tongue out so that they would actually die of thirst and literally drive themselves crazy. And so when, when the folks would hear about the Assyrians are coming to take us over... They're like, you know what, I'm going to fall on my sword and be done with it because I'm not going to fight because the people were absolutely brutal. They were brutal. And God says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go speak to them. And Jonah's like, yeah, I got a better idea, God. In fact, I'm going to go down to Joppa and I'm going to head out to Tarshish and I'm going to go to Spain because who knows what they got going on there, but I'm certainly sure that it's not what they're doing up there in Nineveh. Right? And so sometimes when we read this, we, we, we kind of go, wow, I, you know, how can Jonah be a prophet, not listen to God, and be completely disobedient? Well, well there's a little story behind it, and that he didn't want to go. But the picture is, remember what I told you, God's grace and mercy? You want to know why God wanted to send Jonah to Nineveh? Because he wanted them to repent before he judged them. You know, that's grace. That's grace. You often wonder how come 
God allows the crazy stuff that goes on in our world and why he doesn't come back and destroy them. It's grace. It's grace. Right? It's his mercy and his grace that he gives us time to turn. And so as wicked as the folks were in Nineveh, he still had mercy and he had grace on them. And Jonah's like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be a part of it. I I don't want anything to do with that. And when we think about our life, you know, oftentimes God will call us to a place or call us to do something that we don't want to do. Now, it may not be go, hey, let's go to, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq or in the Middle East and, and deal with those crazy people. It's like, no, thank you. I'll just stay here. But you know what? Sometimes God calls us to forgive somebody who's hurt us. God, I don't want to forgive them. They hurt us. I, I don't want to sweep, the, sweep their offense underneath the rug. Well, forgiveness on your part has nothing to do with what God's going to do to them on their part. Forgiveness for you is so that it no longer controls you. God may call you to serve. God, I don't want to serve. I want to sit here where I'm comfortable. I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to a place or deal with people. I don't want to deal with teenagers. I don't want to deal with preschoolers. I don't want to deal with adults. I don't want to deal with anybody. I just want to stay where I'm at. And oftentimes God will call us to a place where he wants to stretch us out so that we're able to grow and that we're able to experience his grace and mercy. And he uses us as a tool of grace and mercy to other people. And so when God calls us to that, we need need to recognize it. Now, most of us do our response with God like many of us, and don't raise your hand, parent, right? Now, my kids are grown, so I I no longer do this. But you you ever see the parents, and don't don't say yeah, and don't raise your hand, and no elbows, all right? So let's just play it safe, and let's just all assume that it's the second service that has all the bad parents, all right? We'll just make that agreement right here. But you ever, you ever see parents that do this when their kid's misbehaving, when they're toddlers and stuff, you know, right around 17, and they're misbehaving, and they're like, now listen, you don't want me to get off this couch, right? Now, if I get up off this couch, you're, you're going you're gonna to get it. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Now, none of the parents are, uh, none of the kids are here, and this is not being beamed into the preschool the truth is, you're too lazy to get off the couch. That's the truth, but that's a, that's, a, that's a side point, right? So then you give it this. Now listen, one, I'm telling you, if you don't get moving, one and a half, I, when I get to three, it's, I'm going to rain on your parade. You're going to really have something to cry about, right? And we go all the way, right, to two and, two and seven eighths, right? And then, and then we come back to, now listen, I'm telling you, if you, if you don't, right, Right? And the whole time, be honest, the whole time you're, now, not my kids, my kids were all perfect, but, but your kids, they're like this. You mean like that? You mean like that? You mean like that? You mean like that? Right? Now, don't touch that podium. You mean like that? You mean one? I mean, you mean like that? Right? Come on, that's the truth, right? And, and, and the reality is, and, and this is, again, this is a parenting message on a separate day, but what you're teaching your child is delayed obedience. You're teaching them delayed obedience. See, see, and we do that with God. It's like the word of the Lord came to Dan. One, two and a half, right? And I'm just skating. 
But here's the reality. The gap between obedience or the gap between the word of the Lord came to Pastor Dan and obedience is going to describe or going to reveal my maturity in the Lord. The wider the gap, the more immature you are in your faith. The narrower the gap, the more you are mature in your faith. Okay? So when the word of the Lord comes, that time frame, right, of obedience is going to reveal to you where you're at in your walk with the Lord. If there is a gap, one, right, two, if there's a big gap, that's just a, that's just a sign to you that you're not a far, as far along in your walk as you may think you are. Because what God desires is, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, God's desire is, Lord, yes, now what do you want me to do? And then do it. Right? It's not negotiating. See, that's what we do with a sign. Don't feed the animals. What's it going to hurt? Right? The word of the Lord came. What's the big deal? Hey, go serve. Hey, go give. Hey, be a part of it. Well, God, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Right? And so when God gives you that word, you need to do it. You need to move forward. Number two is you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Isn't that the truth? You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. When the word of the Lord came to, to, to Jonah, he was able to go to a port and he was able to find a boat going in the opposite direction. Right? And, and verse 3 goes on and it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, that's a port city, where he found a ship bound for that port. And it goes on, he says, After paying the fare, he went, uh, he went aboard the, uh, the ship and he sailed to Tarshish, fleeing from the Lord. Right? And so here is a lesson in all of our lives. When God speaks into our life to do something, I guarantee you there will be a ship going in the opposite direction of where God wants you to go. And if you give it the, I'm just going to pray, and if there's a boat that pulls up into the port, hey, therefore it must be God's will, you are going to be disobedient more often than not. Now whether it's the enemy, or whether it's circumstantial, who knows? But the reality is, there will always be a boat going in the opposite direction of where God is calling you. Now think about this in your own life, right? You, you sense, you know, God really wants me to just kind of step up and put, put Christ first in my life. And then out of the blue comes an old friend from somewhere in your past life. Hey, let's go golfing. Hey, let's go here. Hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. All right, I'll go do that. There's nothing sinful about going out on a Sunday and missing service every once in a while. But then what happens next Sunday? Someone out of the blue comes up. Hey, let's go to the mountains. Let's go skiing. Let's go this. Let's go that. And there's always a ship heading in the wrong direction when God speaks into our life. And this is exactly in Jonah's life. And Jonah gives it the old, hey, if there's a boat there, then it must be God's will. I'm going to go down there. And lo and behold, he finds a boat and he's heading off in the wrong direction. And here's what's happened so many times to believers, is it's not necessarily a running from God, is it is a drifting from God. You ever feel that way? Way back when the kids were small, I'm not much of a water person, 
but we, we had a little two-man raft, and we took one of the kids, and I took one of the kids out, kind of paddled out, and we were just kind of floating around and stuff and playing in the water, and you kind of look up like 30 or 40 minutes later at a lake. You look up 30 or 40 minutes later, and it's like, where's Tammy and the boys? And we had drifted a couple hundred yards away, and we didn't even know it. It didn't feel like it, but the wind and the current was just pushing us aside, right? And spiritually, it's the same thing. It's like you feel like you're in the same spot, but you slowly just drift, and you don't feel it. And it, you're not necessarily running. In Jonah's case, he was flat out running. But, it, but in many of our cases, we just drift. There's another opportunity. Well, Sunday rolls around. Well, community group time. Well, you know, I really can't because I got to do this, I got to do that. And something else came. There it comes. There's always a ship heading in a different direction. In which case, he takes us, you know, in that opposite direction. Number three, the third principle is this, that God may send a storm to grab your attention. You ever have one of those? Verse four, then the Lord, what did he do? The sprinklers are coming on. Then the Lord, a great wind, right, uh, on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. Now, now remember that this ship isn't like three logs tied up, right? And, a, you know, Tom Sawyer on a boat, you know, just going camping. This is a cargo ship. This is a, a ship that would transport cargo from one port to the other port in the Mediterranean. This is not a little tiny, you know, raft type of deal. And so the storm was so vicious... And so uh, the winds were so high and the waves were so large that the guys who made their life on the sea were literally scared for their life, right? So we're not talking about little white caps. We're talking about huge rollers that are just beaten against the ship and they're feeling like, you know, what on earth is taking place? And so the Lord sent this storm to get Jonah's attention in his life, to get him to pay attention to what was taking place. Verse 8 goes on, and he says, so they asked him, so they're all scared for their life, they're, they're going to pull lots or pull straws to figure out, you know, if we pull lots, whoever gets the biggest one, it must be their fault, right? So they're trying to figure out why this storm is taking place. They're getting ready to throw the cargo over the ship in, 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 in order to save the ship, and so they get to a point where it falls on Jonah, and they recognize that it's Jonah's fault for all this. In verse 8, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for who? For us. Circle the word us. Right? Because th th this is important, mom and dad. You want to know why it's important? Because your disobedience doesn't just affect you. It affects your whole family. In this case, it affected the whole ship. Right? Well, we think, well, if I just run from God, it's just about me. Oh, no, it isn't. It's about your whole family. Let's take it a little even bigger. Your disobedience as the body of Christ affects all of us. If God has called you to a ministry and you have a unique story, you have a unique life, you have a unique message, and you sit on your uniqueness, okay, you know what? It affects us because we don't get to hear it, experience, celebrate with you because of disobedience. 
So it, it goes larger than, hey, I'm just going to run from God and, and I'm on my own. No, 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 no. If you, if, you have, if you have kids, if you have grandkids, it affects everybody, including as we get larger into the, into the body of Christ. So then they ask him, what did you do? Where are you from? Where, where do you come from? What is your country? From what, uh, uh, for what people are you? Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Pause. Really? Seriously? What are you doing, Jonah? I'm running from God. You're worshiping? Now let's just kind of take that here. We think worship is an hour on Sunday. In fact, some people will even call the music set of the service worship. I hate to say this to you. Our life is worship. And it is a lifestyle that's worship. So yes, we come to worship as a corporate body. And yes, you may say the song service is worship and the, and, and the teaching is the word, and that's fine. You know, I want to get tied up in semantics. But the reality is, our life is worship. And so we, we would just simply ask Jonah, you really worship the Lord, Jonah? Where are you going? You're running in another direction. And this is the power of the series, Be the Message. Because it's going to push us and encourage us to live the message as a lifestyle. Not as something we go to church on Sunday, we get it over, I hope he's done on time so I can get out of here. But it teaches us a lifestyle of how we live loud as a billboard for the kingdom. On a regular basis in our life that we live it out. And so Jonah gives it the old, hey, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the land. Now, the sailors, they worshipped gods. They had gods for everything. And so they, they, they just worshipped whatever kind of god you wanted to throw at them. And so he comes and he says, hey, I'm, I'm Hebrew and I worship Jehovah God, the one who created the, the heavens and created the, the, the earth and so forth. Verse 10. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? And he goes on and he says, they, uh, they knew because he had told them that he, they, he was running from them. And so they asked for, for clarification as far as what was taking place and why are you running? But the point is this, that we need to recognize that our disobedience is going to affect all of us, right? And our life is a worship service. We are living for an audience of one. And as we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so forth, we are, we are performing in front of one king. That's it. And so it isn't necessarily just about kind of a Sunday thing. It's really about our whole life. Verse 12. So they decide it's Jonah who's causing the problem. <clears throat> verse 11, they give him the, hey, Lord, forgive us for killing this guy. In verse 12, they pick him up and they throw him into the sea. He replied, and it, uh, uh, it, he, he said, pick me up, throw me into the sea. And, they, and he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And so he recognizes it. Now in chapter 2 is going to be a prayer from the belly of the fish. 
But at this point, he recognizes his wayward ways. And he recognizes that he has put everyone in danger. And he recognizes that the solution is for them to take him and toss him overboard. And so the sailors are like, Lord, forgive us. One, two, woo, three, and over he goes. And what's interesting is when he lands in the water, the seas calm down. Remember when Jesus in the New Testament, when he said, to the wind and to the seas, be still? Right? God is in control over the natural laws of the earth. And the seas began to calm down. And then number four in your outline is Jonah's worst nightmare is exactly what he needed. His worst nightmare is exactly what he needed because he was probably hoping that he's going to grab onto some of the cargo that was thrown over and he's just going to float to shore. But God had a different plan. Verse 15. When they took Jonah, they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Verse 16. And at, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. Now remember, they worshipped a lowercase g God. They had gods for everything. In this case, when they threw him overboard and everything calmed down, they're like, who's the God of, of the Hebrews? That's who I'm interested in. <clears throat> and so they, they worshipped, they feared that Lord, and they offered sacrifices to that Lord, and they made vows to him. And I, we don't know what they were, but we can probably guess, because we probably made some of them, like, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'm going to serve you forever. Right? And so there's no doubt that that's exactly what they're saying. Wow, we're always going to be a worshiper, a worshiper of the Hebrew God. Verse 17, but the Lord, what did he do? The Lord provided. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now this isn't a whale. It is a fish. All right, we'll, we'll look at next week. What, what some of the people actually think that he is, what, what it is. But here's what I want you to recognize. The Lord provided the fish. Jonah thought it was his worst nightmare. Jonah thought he's going to hang on to some cargo, he's going to float to the, to the shore and everything's going to be fine, and he's going to go back to Joppa, and he's going to go back to his hometown, and he's ultimately going to go to Nineveh. But God had a different way of changing him. And God provided for that. Now pause for a second. When we read that, we kind of go, I don't know. I mean, God provided. In this case, he caused a fish to be at the right place at the right time. He caused the sailors to take him and throw him overboard. He caused the straws to be drawn that it was Jonah's fault. Right, God's sovereign hand was in that whole account of what took place. And they throw him overboard and God caused the fish to go, mmm, grub, and swallow him. All because of God's love for Jonah. Now let's just think about that. You mean that God causes in some cases, troubling things in our life? Sometimes, yes. And if he doesn't cause it, he certainly allows it in our life. All to get our attention to turn to him. 
It is out of God's grace and God's mercy that a fish swallowed Jonah, not just for Jonah's sake, but ultimately in chapter 3 for all the folks who live in Nineveh as well. And see, when we go through difficult times, we don't recognize that. We, We just think, I must have done something wrong, and maybe that is the consequences of your wrong choices. But perhaps the bigger story is God has either caused it or allowed it in your life to get your attention. And when we go through difficult times, whether it's relationally or financially or any other situation that you go through, it is always an opportunity to trust God in a greater way. That he's taking us to that point where he's saying, are you going to trust me in a greater way? Because in order to get through it, you're going to have to trust God in a greater way. And so out of his grace and out of his mercy, he sends a fish to swallow him. And ultimately, he spends the three days in the belly of the fish. In chapter 2, you can read it. We'll look at this next week. Is his prayer to God. In the depths of the sea, God hears his prayer. And God changes him. And he ultimately gets spit onto the shore where he's going to go. He's going to say eight words. Nineveh is going to be transformed. And the greatest revival in history was spoken. And 120,000 people were saved in one occasion. But for us today, as we just wrap up one, you may be going through a financial issue now. You may be going through a relational issue now. You may be going through a child issue now. You may be going through a hardship And is this either caused or allowed by God to do what? To get your attention so that his grace and mercy will be in your life so that you will trust him in a greater way. Here's what I've learned about folks. You're going to break one of two ways when you go through hardship. You're either going to break to God and trust him in a greater way or you're going to break away from God and you're going to run from him. You're either going to trust him and say, God, this is horrible. I don't like being in the belly of the fish. It stinks. I'm losing my hair. It smells like fish in here. I want out. And I'm going to break to God. Or I'm going to believe, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, that God is obligated to make me happy. And because I put in my tokens and I'm not happy, I'm going to break away from God. And I'm going to walk from him. And every single time and every one of our lives when we're going through hardships, that's the two paths that you will have. That's it. Only two. To God, away from God. And Jonah ultimately goes to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, again, just this opportunity to gather and to to sit under the authority of your word and Just the amazing story of of Jonah and how all of us have a little bit of that reluctant spirit in us that we oftentimes want to go in a direction that we feel is best and most fit for us. And Father, as a church and as a pastor and as individuals here today, Lord, my prayer is that if we're walking, if we're drifting, if we're running from you, Lord, that we would pause and that we would turn back to you, that we would seek you with our whole heart, with all that we have, that we would surrender and submit 
fully and completely to you. Lord, we know that you have great plans for us. We know that you're sovereign in control. We know that you know all things. You know our yesterday, our today, and our tomorrow. And Lord, we want to just be placed into your hands and walk with you in faith. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity to invite Christ into your life to be your Savior. And we just do a little prayer. I say it. You don't have to repeat it out loud. Just repeat after me silently. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross and that He rose again. And today, I confess Him to be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, thank You for saving me. Lord, thank You for loving me. Lord, thank You for pursuing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.